It's a joy to be with you this morning, although I'm up here because of a sad situation, so Brother Frank, we're praying for you and for your family. But you know, as, as we turn to, I have a que- uh, turn to our thoughts this morning, I have a question, actually two questions. Why should I do God's will? Shouldn't I just live to please myself? You know, we talk a lot about God's will. In fact, some time ago I did what we call a Google. For those of you who aren't computer literate, that means there's this program that helps you search all the different sites. And I came up with over three million hits, as they call it, where they talk something about God's will. So there's a lot of talk about God's will. But as we talk about God's will, there's something that I think often is just a little bit out of focus. Let me explain where I'm coming from with an illustration. I've noticed in my travels around, when you go into a new country, you have a little book, right? And you have to take this book and you have to give it to somebody. Why do we do that? Because they have the, what, the authority to let us in and out, right? But usually when we're approaching, okay, where is this desk I have to go to? Who is the person I give it to? Do I have it? Is everything in order? You know, we're all, we're asking that. I hope my connections are all in place after I get through and so on like that. But why do we have to give the book? Because why the authority, right? Of who, the, that he represents the authority to let us in or out. Well, we talk about God's will, but why should we do God's will? So often we focus about what is God's will? How do I know God's will? But I would ask, why? And to do that, I have five questions I'd like to look at this morning. Five questions that will help us to answer this question. And the first question is, is God trustworthy? Can I trust God? Do you remember that great big steel structure as we're heading north on the Hume Highway? Bungee jumping? You know, I looked at that thing and I says, there is no way you're going to get me up there, let alone put a little bit of thread around my feet and go and trust my life to that thing, that thread. One, I'm, I think you'd be seeing the old steel structure vibrate. I don't like heights. <clears throat> but you know, so often, sometimes, when we think of God's will, maybe we think this, I have to trust my life, my future, even the desires I have into what God wants me to do. Can I trust God? Is he trustworthy? Now, as we ask that question, there's really two questions. Can I trust God? Can I trust God? You know, is he dependable? When things don't seem to be going well, can I trust God? But there's another question. Can I trust God? Do I have the relationship with him where I can trust God. Uh, let's look at several verses. Look with me at Psalm 33. We'll be looking at a number of verses this morning as we seek to answer our questions. So 
So Psalm 33, and we'll look at one verse in Psalm 33. <clears throat> verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. Now let's look at that. The word of the Lord, his works. That means everything he says, right? Everything he does is what? It's right. It is done in truth. You can say amen to it. Now sometimes things happen. And we say, God, I don't see the picture. How is this right? But God says what? Everything he does is done in truth. It is faithful. It is reliable. We can trust it. You know, sometimes people will take this, uh, say this. Uh, a man by the name of Frederick Nietzsche said, you have your way. I have my way. As for the right way, the correct way, the only way, it doesn't exist. Is that true? God's way is what? Done in truth. Let's look at uh, another psalm, Psalm 91. First, the first two verses. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Now as the psalmist describes there, he says, God, we come to abide under His shadow. If it's 45 degrees, not a cloud in the sky, what do sometimes we look for? Shade. Because we want protection from the heat of the sun. If it's raining, I know I, got, I had an umbrella, but I still got wet anyway. We want protection. The psalmist says, the one who dwells in on high is a place we can go to for protection like a shadow under the shadow of the Almighty my refuge my fortress so I ask the question can I trust God why should I do God's will well can I trust him because doing his will is the safest place he has it is a place of refuge a place of protection. Uh, keep that in mind. We'll uh, another one. Let's look at. I'll just refer to it. In Second Timothy two thirteen, we read, "If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful; he cannot deny himself." As I think about that, God is faithful; he cannot what? Deny himself. That's his character who he is, that he is true, he is trustworthy, he is reliable. Can I trust God? Can I trust my life to him? So, uh, First uh, Thessalonians 5, 24, Faithful is he who, that calleth you, 
who will also do it. Another verse, Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. So I ask, should I seek my pleasure and ignore God? Or should I seek to do God's will? First, is he trustworthy? And our answer has to be... Another question. Does God really know what's best for my life? Is there just maybe something that he might miss? Um, let's look at some Psalms. Let's look at Psalm 147, verse 4. I find this amazing. Now those students who are taking the exams, and in a sense the teacher is also an exam because it sees, sees how well the teacher's been teaching, uh, there's a lot of information to learn, right? And especially, I know, as a, I remember when I was taking the exams, one of the things I liked the least were what I called the grocery lists. You know what I mean by the grocery list? One, two, three, four, five, six, and where does it stop? And then you want to remember them all. Well, verse 4. He, that is God, telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. As I think of the number of stars, God knows a lot. Look at Psalm 139, verse, uh, one, well, the first several verses there, Psalm 139. O Lord, verse 1, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down and art acquainted with how many of my ways? All my ways. How many, every time, think of that, every time I get up, God knows it. Think yesterday. How many times did you get up out of the chair? How many times did you sit down? I don't know. I did it a lot. But God knows it. He can number it. And there is not, verse 4, not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? So as I ask, does God know the best for my life? He knows me better than I do. And remembers it better than I do. Another, another thing, let's go to an example, but it will bear. 1 Samuel 23. Now the situation here, David is running from King Saul. Saul wants him dead. And David is at a place called Keilah. And uh, David has done good for Keilah. He's been a help to them. But then Saul finds out through the grapevine that David's there in Keilah. And he says, oh boy, I got him. And verse 12, David comes to the Lord and he asks, Will the men of Keilah 
Then said David, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver thee up. Well, you know what David did? The next verse, he left. So did the men of Keilah ever turn David over? It's a simple answer. No, right? But God said, if you stay, they will. Now look at that. Said, now that's interesting. God knows every single what if. If I had made this choice, but I didn't, God knows the end result. If I had made that choice, God knows every single possibility. It's like when we're looking at the, uh, if we're likening the road, and we come to an intersection with many different possibilities. And God says, I know the end of every way you could choose. So, God knows me better than I do, and he knows every possibility. Let's look at Isaiah 46, verse 10. This, he said, God says toward the end of verse 9, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Now to look at this verse, there's a number of things, but one thing, God declares the end from the beginning. You know what? God doesn't have to learn. We have to learn. We have to investigate. God knows it all already. The past, the present, or the future. So I come back to the question. Does God know what is best for my life? Does he know the possibilities? We'd have to say, yeah. But let's follow that thought just a little bit. Let's go to book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. Because remember, we're dealing here with two questions. Should I live to please myself or should I live to please God? In Proverbs chapter 1, starting with uh, verse 20. Wisdom crieth with... Actually, let's go uh, up earlier. Verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. And why should they do that? Verse 13. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in the lot with us. He, is saying, he says, sinners come and say, come with us. Let's sin Let's do the wrong thing and look how much fun we will have. Look how many riches we will get. Look what you will get if you follow this way. And many times when we think, should I live God's way or the way for my pleasure, we're really making choices like this. And God knows the end of that choice. Because as we read on, 
He says their feet run to evil, and verse 16, and make haste to shed blood. Verse 18, they lay wait for their own lives. They lurk privately for their own lives. Then verse 20, wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. And it goes on there, she cries where people live, where people work. She says, how long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Somebody who's simple, biblically, doesn't know. They can be taught. A scorner laughs at it. And a fool knows, but refuses to do. And he says, with the choices you make, he says, turn you at my reproof, and I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Verse 24, he says, but there's refusal. Verse 25, you've said it not all my counsel. Now notice verse 26. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when fear cometh. So as you follow the way of your pleasure and not the way of God, it's the way of calamity. So when time comes and you want it, know how much you seek it, it isn't going to, you're not going to find it. It's too late. The damage has been done. So as I ask this question, should I seek my way or God's way? He is trustworthy, isn't he? Does he know what's best for my life? God says yes, because the rejection of God's way ends in calamity. Calamity, yes, in this life, but most of all, in the life to come. But that brings me then to, uh, oh yeah, it's like this situation. When it comes to uh, what is best, do, do I know what's best for my life or not? There was this economic student that was taking an examination. And it was just before the Christmas holidays. So the student was going through answering the questions. It came across a few questions. The student didn't have a clue. So he wrote, only God knows the answer, Merry Christmas. He got a paperback. The teacher had written, God gets 100, you get zero. Happy New Year. <laughs> when it comes to our life, that's what we are. So, does God know what's really best for my life? I'd have to say, yeah, I get zero. But can God really do it? That's our third question. Can he really do what he's promised? Does he have the strength to do it? In Revelation 1.8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which was, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Now stop to think for a moment. That word, Almighty, what is that saying? It's all might, right? Over in Revelation 19, 6. Uh, <clears throat> I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God, omnipotent, reigneth. So I think, you know, God is almighty. 
well, if God is almighty, can he make a stone bigger than he can lift or move? Now think about that for a moment. That question assumes that God's might has a limit and he can go beyond it. But this says he is how much mighty? Almighty, there is no limit. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 20, 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. So as I come to the question, is should I do my will? Should I seek my pleasure, forget God? Or should I do God's will? Why should I do God's will? Is he trustworthy? Does he know what's best for my life? Can he really do it? Yeah, he can go beyond what we even ask or think. It's like this story came across of a preacher. They lived in a two-story house. And he was downstairs studying, and he realized, oh, there's a book he wanted. Book of sizable size, apparently. So he sent his little boy up, and he waited, and he waited, and waited. And he wondered what happened. And he went to the foot of the stairs and looked up, and there was his boy just crying. And the book was at its feet. He says, Daddy, it's too big. I can't carry it. You know what he did? He rushed up, picked up the book and the little boy, and carried them both downstairs. Can God really do it? He's got the power to take our problem and to carry us downstairs when we can't do it, because he is almighty. We can trust him. Well, that brings me to another question. Do I really have to obey God? Sometimes when we were children, we had to do things like called dishes. And maybe some of our friends wanted to call us out to play, and we said, I can't come, I have to do dishes. For some reason, we put that have to. I don't want to, but I have to. Do we have to do God's will? Well, God is sovereign, isn't he? Let's look at another thing. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh, who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. Now as I look at that, God worketh all things after the counsel of his will. You know what that tells me? He's got control of how much? All. And so think about that. In Isaiah, Isaiah, Psalm 135, verse 6, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven, in earth, in the seas, and in the deep places. You say, well, why does God have this sovereignty? Who made it? 
What about us as believers? We are bought with a price. You know, he has the right, he has the authority to do it. Should I have to? Well, I don't like the consequences. Because we said everyone will have to give an account to God. Uh, let's see. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 15 through 16. Which in his time he will show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. He is the what potentate? The only potentate. King of kings. Do I have to obey God? That's saying, I want to be king of my life. I want to be the ruler of my life. But he is the king of kings. He is the only potentate. You know, many times we treat God like this man who got up in a conference and said, I'm, I was a Christian before I came. Still was. Christ was my king. But I'm afraid he was a constitutional monarch. And I was the prime minister. Now he is absolute Lord. And that makes a difference. So when he asks the question, do I have to obey God? Well, if he has complete control, and he does have complete control, that means we're going to have to respond to him. Did we obey or disobey? We cannot disobey with the, and get away with it. We will have to respond to God. There is no way out of it because he is all sovereign. So, our questions. Should I? Does, is God trustworthy? Is he able to do everything that he wants? Is he able to, does he know what's best for my life? Okay. And do I have to obey? Yeah. Put it this way. You don't want to say no. And then the last one. Does God really love me? Because sometimes we get the idea, should I do God's will or not? We're thinking, well, I don't want to go to that country because they've got elephants as big as, or spiders as big as elephants or whatever. You know, it could be any number of reasons why we say we don't go. But really it comes down to, does, would God love me and send me to, or have me do such and such? Well, look at 1 John chapter 4. Verse 8. He that loveth knoweth not God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. How do I know that God loves us? 
How do I know that God loves me? Let's keep reading. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him, here in his love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. How do I know God loves me? Before I had any inkling of love for God, God loved me, and he did something about it. His love wasn't just an emotional love that ended in emotion. It was a love that does something. Christ died on the cross for my sin. So as I come before God, says, God, I'm a sinner. I've sinned, and I deserve hell because that is the just punishment for my sin. But in your love, you sent the Lord Jesus Christ. In love, you came, you died on the cross for me. So how can we say, God doesn't love me? Because God has done so much for us. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. Verse 35 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. What are those things? Tribulation, distress, persecution? That's tough times. It says, through them, God, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I say, does God love me? I have to say yes. Nothing can separate me from God's love. He cares for me. He seeks my welfare. And he's done the most you could ever do. Christ died for me. So, why should I do God's will? If he's trustworthy, if he knows what's best for my life, if he's all-powerful, if he's all-knowing, if he's love and sovereign, what's the logical answer? Then why do we fight God? You know, it's almost illogical. So you may say, Okay, I do want to do God's will. What should I do? Well, that's another whole sermon, but let me give you just a thing that's helped me. I use what I call the W-triple-C formula. W, the Word of God. That means I'm studying it. I've learned to put it into practice in my life. I know its principles. It's got to be in accordance with the Word of God. If it's up against the Word of God, it's not, there's no, no discussion. Uh, then you have conscience. 
Do I have a good conscience? Do I have a clear conscience? God uses that. If something just doesn't seem right, hang on. It may not be right. May not know why. Now, conscience can be deceived. Yes, I know. But it's got to be a conscience taught by the word of God. Then there's counsel. The, the counsel of godly people. They may recognize things or see things we don't. And then there's circumstances. I mean... For me, at 61, going out for the Olympics would be laughable, right? To run a race. The circumstances are, forget it. You know, there may be circumstances like that when we're considering God's will. That's just a real short thing, but it comes back to, why should I do God's will? Because he knows what's best. He's the all-sovereign, all-knowing God who cares. And we can place our life on him. So yes, we can climb up that big tower and do the bungee jump and trust him because that cord will hold. This week, let's do God's will, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and grace. And thank you that we can trust you who loves and cares for us. In Jesus' name, amen.